It certainly is wonderful to be with all of you today. We appreciate your efforts for being here, and we appreciate you and your presence. I do consider it an honor to speak concerning the Word of God, and today is no exception. I want to talk on a subject that really should be of great interest to everybody. And I'll tell you why I chose to preach on this subject, what will heaven be like? I'm doing so on the heels of the last lesson that I gave on the seal of God and the mark of the beast. And in there, regarding those that are sealed by God, two things. We said the 144,000 and we said also the innumerable multitude. I'm going to sum it up with one statement. The 144,000 and the innumerable multitude. Here it is. I believe the 144,000 are the saved on the earth or the church militant. And I believe that the innumerable multitude are the saved in heaven or the church triumphant. So what I want to talk about for a little while today is what will heaven be like? It's a great subject. It's where we all want to go. Now, I know that there are a lot of things that we don't know about heaven, and I will say this as we introduce our remarks. John the Revelator gave a beautiful picture of many things that are found in the book of Revelation regarding heaven. And in that beautiful picture that he gave, I think it would probably pale in comparison to how great and how beautiful and how awesome it will be one day. But here we begin, and we begin with our text in Revelation chapter 21. And we'll begin there in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for their former things have passed away. First of all, the word heaven and the general, uh, I would say, definition of heaven it comes from the word whose root meaning means to cover or encompass. In fact, it's defined as the vaulted expanse of the sky with all things visible in it. We find a passage, too, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens, keep this in the back of your mind, plural, the heavens are the work of your hands. Also in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5, For this they willfully reject or forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. One more passage, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire unto the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. My question is this, when it speaks about heavens in a plural sense, and in a negative sense, when it says in verse 7, the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men, what are the heavens that the Bible is speaking of? Well, first of all, 
heavens are described. Number one, there is one heaven that we want to notice, and that's the aerial heavens or the sky. It's the region where the clouds and tempests gather and where thunder and lightning are produced. In James chapter 5 and verse 18, And he prayed again, and the heaven gave up rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Also, you see in Acts chapter 22 and verse number 6. Now, we know what this was. We know this was Paul's description or Paul's account of his conversion on the Damascus Road, the Damascus Road experience. He was not saved on the Damascus Road, but he was told to go in and Ananias preaches to him. Ananias baptizes him, and we know he was saved later on. But in Acts chapter 22 and verse 6, this is Paul's account of his own conversion. And he said these words. Paul said, as I journeyed and came near Damascus about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. What is he talking about? He's talking about the sky. Now, I'm going to mention these things in their terms. And then after we get uh, through those terms, I'm just going to refer to them as this one's going to always refer to as the sky. I'm not going to keep saying aerial. This is the, the sky. And that's what Paul was talking about when that great light shined around him. But there's another heaven too, because we read in the book of Revelation, heavens plural. And that's the sidereal or the starry heavens. And in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 12, it says, Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born as many stars of the sky in multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. In Mark also, Mark 13 and 25, it says this, The stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in heaven will be shaken. Verse 26 of Mark chapter 13 says, It'll come at the time when he is coming in the clouds. Where is the clouds? That's the sky right there. What's going to happen to the stars? What's going to happen to the sidereal or starry heavens? It's going to be destroyed. More on that in just a moment. So, all of that being the case, I'm not really concerned about the aerial expanse of the sky or the sidereal where the stars are. I'm concerned about the third heaven. And the third heaven is where all of us want to get someday. The third heaven. And the definition of which is the region above the sidereal heavens. It is the seat of order of things eternal and consummately perfect. It is the place where God dwells with other heavenly beings. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2. Now remember this. Peter and John say there's going to Peter and uh, and John also say that there's going to be a new heavens. But I want to make a point here. When Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2, he was converted, as we know, in Acts chapter 9. Many years go by. And then at some point in time, this event is going to happen. Fourteen years later, he says this about himself. He said, I knew a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know. Whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. That's what we want to talk about, the third heaven. That's the place that we all long to be. That's the place that we all want to go. Now, in, the, in verse also, let's talk about in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 10. 
This is speaking of Jesus. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is the sidereal. This is the aerial expanse of the sky as well. My um, slides are out of order. Okay. Let's talk about new heaven and new earth. The new heaven and the new earth. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the aerial and sidereal, which by the way, that's the sky and the stars. And the first earth had passed away and there were no more sea. This is extremely important for us to understand. Because Jehovah's Witness doctrine believes. I'm not making fun. I'm making a statement of fact. Their doctrine teaches and they believe that the earth that we live on today is going to be refurbished. In other words, they believe the 144,000, a symbolic number, as we've stated, they believe that the 144,000 is an exact number, and they're in heaven now, and heaven is full. I was once talking to a fellow that came and knocked on my door, and really nice fellow, and he wanted to talk about some of these things, and I said, I want to go to heaven. He said, I don't want to go to heaven. I want the new earth that Jesus is going to refurbish. But let's talk about that. Is Jesus going to refurbish anything? Remember, as we stated, that Peter and John said it's going to be new. So, in 1 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So... All we have to do is look at a brief word study and we can know for an absolute fact that the doctrine that teaches that Jesus is going to refurbish this earth itself is impossible. And that is we just go to the passage and we pull out what the exact words are. And we begin with the word new. This word new comes from a word that means as respects form, recently made, fresh, Recent, unused, and unworn. That which is recently made is superior to what it exceeds, and that succeeds, and that is according to Mr. Thayer in our passages. What else? What else is going to happen? It's going to pass away. That means to perish or pass away, to vanish or to disappear out of sight. Another word that we look at too is this word here, the word melt. And by the way, the word melt, there's two words. One is luo and one is tico. Luo means this, to dissolve something coherent into parts or destroy, according to Mr. Thayer. Tico means to make liquid or to become liquid, to perish or be destroyed by melting. Let me ask you this. Does this seem at all like a refurbishment or a complete destruction? What else? Elements is from which all things have come. It's the material causes of the universe. So notice what he's saying here. 
All of the things that happen, all of the things of the earth and the, and the heavens, both the sky and the stars, it will all be what? It's going to pass away. It's going to melt. And even the elements that made up those particulars will be destroyed. Even the elements that made it up. Not a refurbishment, but one more thing. The earth will be burned up, consumed by fire. You know, I know that the earth, as long as I've been alive especially living in the state of California. I know that there's a big discussion over destroying our planet. And I do believe that we should take care of our planet, certainly. So, and obviously, we need to take care of that and be good stewards of that, intending that. But all the things that I have ever heard in my life about man destroying the earth is false. There's nothing that a man could ever do to destroy the earth that Peter's referring to. In fact, God said that God said that he was going to be the one that was going to do that. And when he comes back, when the Lord comes back, that's exactly what's going to happen. Okay, so let's go to the new heaven and new earth. What is going to happen at the new heaven and the new earth? Where is that going to be and what's going to be there? Number one, it's the eternal place of the redeemed. First Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It is the eternal place of the redeemed. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness or where righteousness dwells. Revelation 21 and 27 says, But there shall be no means, by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of folks, there's a lot of folks that want to go to heaven. There's a lot of folks that want to go to heaven. There's a lot of folks that think they're going to heaven. God wants everyone to go to heaven. But not everyone is going to go to heaven. This passage, in speaking of such a grand place... But there shall no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those are the ones that are going to be saved. All right. Let us talk about things that might be in heaven. What about musical instruments? Will musical instruments be in heaven? And the reason that I say this too, and the reason I bring this point out, is I've actually heard people and as advocates for instrumental music in the worship and so forth, is because they have said, well, because it's in heaven, if there's musical instruments in heaven, then shouldn't there be musical instruments on the earth? But the question is this, will there really be literal musical instruments in heaven? Remembering that the book of Revelation is a highly figurative book, let's talk about some instruments that the book of Revelation speaks of. Number one, Trumpets. And this is found in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 2. 
And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them who were given seven trumpets. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard beyond, behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in the heaven, and the voice, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me. Now, it's true, as one scholar said, that the term voices could simply refer to the sound of the trumpets, but other passages seem to suggest that the voices of some heavenly host sounded like trumpets. And the voices of or like a trumpet were used as an announcement was being made or a woe was being pronounced. Not for the melodious sounds of it. In fact, it talks about voices. Here's another one. And this is kind of, I thought about this this morning actually. You know that little cartoon? Somebody dies in a cartoon. And then they immediately look like they're in spirit form. And they have wings. You know, and they fly up and they get a harp. You know, the reason for that is because the mindset or the, uh, the feeling is though that everybody that goes to heaven is going to be an angel with flapping wings and having a harp because the book of Revelation talks about harps. Well, let's talk about that. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 8 and 9. Now, when he was taken the scroll, the four and living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of saints, and they sung a new song. Revelation 14 and 2, I heard the voices of harpers harping with their harps. Notice, I heard the voice of them harping, as it were, on their harps. Some translations say um, sound um, and not uh, voices. But notice another passage. In the, well, the same passage in the American Standard Version says, And the voice which I heard was like the voice of harpers harping with their harps. The Revised Standard Version says, The voice I heard was like the sound of harpers playing on their harps. The very next verse, verse 3, And they sang as it were a new song. All right. It doesn't say anything at all about literal instruments being played it speaks about harps it talks about voices and it sounded as though a harper were harping on their harps and that's what John saw and that's what John said now moving forward let's talk about where heaven is and the reason by the way that I wanted to say this is because it seems obvious where it is it seems extremely obvious but I heard someone not long ago say, I heard him say, we don't really know where it is. We just know it's some far off place somewhere. It could be over there. We don't know that it's up. But is that really true? Is it really that we can't know where it is? I think we can know exactly where it is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this is what Paul said again. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Now, in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up to heaven? In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, listen to this. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven when God sends Jesus back. The reason he's descending is because he had ascended. Heaven is up. I don't mean to insult anybody's intelligence. This is obvious. I get that. But that's where heaven is. It is up. It is through the other two heavens. It is far beyond that. Now, what's it going to be like? I know that people have a different kinds of ideas about heaven. One guy said one time, he said, I think heaven on, is heaven on earth. I think heaven is when you have a good marriage. One guy said, it's when people aren't nagging me or pressuring me. I actually heard somebody tell me this um, not long ago. He said, I have a perfect life. In other words, in his mindset, that's heaven to me. And so many times people have a different concept about heaven. Like anything that I have enjoyed in life, I get to do in heaven. I went to a funeral one time of a rodeo cowboy, an old rodeo cowboy. He passed away and the preacher got up and he said, he's roping in heaven. You know, I don't care if you like golf, you like horses, you like whatever, if you like football, whatever. None of that stuff's going to be in heaven. Heaven is not a concept of whatever you enjoyed here, you get to do for eternity. Heaven is specific, and heaven is a real place. So what is it like? Number one, as I just stated, it is a place. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It is a literal, real place. What else? It's a city. In Hebrews eleven sixteen. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. John's description of heaven, too. Beautiful pictures. Notice this. As he described it in this vision, he said the foundations of the walls were massive and the 12 foundations were the names of the apostles of the Lamb. Now, I think the 12th name, it can't be Judas. I think the 12th name has to be Paul uh, instead of Matthias. We don't hear another thing about Matthias. But Paul was a chosen vessel of Jesus to bear his name to the Gentiles and suffer many things for his name's sake. Divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament. I believe it has to be Paul. But like I told my dear departed sister in Christ so long ago, Sister Mildred, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's meet at the wall and we'll find out. I think it's got to be Paul. But this is a brilliant picture, a beautiful picture. The 12 foundations were massive. And on those foundations, each one was the names of the apostles of the Lamb. Notice this. There were 12 identical gates. Do you know why I think that it says identical gates? John was seeing a picture. And by the way, there was an angel standing guard at each gate. Every gate was identical. You know why? You can't go in any other way. The same terms for you to get into heaven are the same terms for me. 
The standard is the same. So with the 12 foundations of, on the wall of the apostles of the Lamb and the 12 gates with an angel standing at each one, you can't get in on your own way. You know, sometimes people say, you know, all roads lead to heaven. I had a guy tell my dad one time, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll believe the way I want to believe. You believe what you, you want to believe. Let's see who gets to heaven first. And I've heard people say, well, you know, all roads lead there anyway. Not according to this. To get in the gates of heaven, it has to be the same way, the same standard. But there's more. And the gates are made of pearl. And by the way, that's where we get pearly gates. When I get up there to the pearly gates, people sometimes say. But have you ever stopped to consider why it says pearl? Pearl, I think, as one scholar said, represents those who have had to undergo and persevere through great trials in their life. Because a pearl is the oyster's response to pain and struggle. So the gates are made of pearl. It's going to be sometimes difficult in some people's lives to persevere. I get that. But the pearly, these pearls here represent those that have overcome trials, as one scholar said, I'll read it, and tribulations in order to reach heaven one day. It's produced by suffering of an oyster, and sometimes our life is also produced by suffering. You know, when Paul said, my light afflictions are but for a while, he calls them light afflictions. He had terrible things happen to him. He just called them light afflictions. I think what he was saying is, he wasn't saying they're not there. I think he was saying it doesn't matter. I think that's exactly what he's saying. It just doesn't matter. And sometimes we have to undergo some tremendous trials and suffering, but one day it's not going to matter. One day we're going to stand triumphantly before that throne. What else? It's a city that's four square. That means this. The length and the breadth and the height are all equal. The Bible says that each measured 12,000 furlongs. And by the way, a furlong is one-eighth of a mile. So you got 12,000 of those. Okay? 12,000 of those. That's the distance between, or 1,500 miles, that's the distance between Dallas and New York from New York City to Bismarck, North Dakota, from Bismarck, North Dakota to San Francisco, California, and from San Francisco, California back to Dallas. That's how big that is. 1,500 square miles. But it's a city four square, so you got to go back up in the air 1,500 and start again. A city four square. Don't think that heaven's going to be cramped. I think it's plenty big. Certainly is. And by the way, this is 500 quintillion cubic feet or 500 with 18 zeros after it. That's how big heaven's going to be. Incredible. What else? How about the wall? Very important here. Notice the wall is 44 cubits or it is 218 feet. Have you ever stopped to consider why the width is not mentioned little history here. You remember Nineveh? Nineveh was a walled city. And ancient cities back in those days were either fenced or walled. And here was the purpose. Keep the enemy out. Right? Just keep the enemy out. So when Nineveh was built and the wall was built, 
I read one scholar that said it was so wide that three chariots could be abreast of each other and spread out, and three chariots could drive their chariots side by side on the top of the wall to keep the enemy out. I think there's a picture here, don't you? We have the length, but the width doesn't matter because the enemy can't get in. There's no reason for it to be thick. There's no reason for it to keep the enemy out because the enemy can't get there. I think that's a beautiful picture. Yes, heaven is a real place. What else? What else? It's a city of pure gold. He calls it transparent glass. He said a wall of jasper, gates of pearl, and a street of gold. You know, I like that country song that says, I would, I would want to go to heaven even if the streets were paved in dirt. And, and that's true. I don't care what heaven is or, or what would change. As long as I can get there, I just want to get there. I remember a buddy of mine used to preach. He used to say, you know what, I'll be a street sweeper in heaven. I just want to get in. And I think everybody really feels that way. Everybody believes that. Everybody would like that. Everybody would want that. But in this great place that is so grand that even the street itself is made of pure gold. So what's going to be there? What about things in heaven? Number one, God is going to be on his throne. You know, we studied this last time. The innumerable multitude is before God on his throne. What else? Also there is the Lamb of God that takes the sins away of the world. And as we studied last time, those that are saved in the innumerable multitude of the redeemed before God on the throne and the Lamb of God will be wearing white robes because those robes are cleansed in the blood of Jesus. Our sins are washed away and we stand there triumphantly as it were with a symbol of palm branches meaning victory. That's the church victorious. That's what's going to be some things in heaven. What else? The tree of life. Do you remember in the garden when man sinned and man was cast out of the garden and God removed the tree of life, took the tree of life away from them? So in one respect, that was a punishment and a consequence for their sinful actions. But there's a beautiful picture there, though, of something else. It shows God's love and God's mercy. If the tree of life, after man's sin, would have been in their life, man would have been an immortal sinner, unable to die, eternally lost, an immortal sinner. God took away the tree of life. But guess what? As my father-in-law used to say, but in heaven, guess what? We get it back. The tree of life will be there too. What else? A pure river of water of life. Revelation 22 and verse 1. Those that hunger and thirst will be satisfied from a spiritual perspective. Also there in heaven is going to be our treasure or our inheritance. Here's something else too. The name of every child of God will be written there in heaven. Be written in heaven. So, in heaven, in this great place that we talked about, symbolic language that sounds so beautiful we can't even fathom it, we know for a fact that one day God's going to be there on the throne. And by the way, he's going to be that because why? In Matthew 28 and 18, Jesus said, 
All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The Bible also said, according to the Apostle Paul, though, is when the Lord comes back, he will give the throne back over to his father. His father will reign forever. Jesus will step down from that reign that God will be all in all. So before God, before us, are is God on his throne. The tree of life, a pure river of water of life, hungry and thirst will be satisfied, our treasure and inheritance in the name of every child of God is written there. As the Bible says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. There's nothing greater in all the world than making it to heaven. And there's really nothing worse, as the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he would gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? There's nothing worse than losing it. There's nothing greater than gaining it and having it forever. And never forget this as I close. If you make it to heaven, if I'm fortunate enough to make it to heaven, I will never be kicked out. The Bible says at that point in time, the righteous will be righteous still. But it also says the wicked that are lost, the wicked will be wicked still. They can't ever get back in. So if you want to be saved, you have to be saved with the redeemed on earth. The steps to become saved are very simple. Come believing in Jesus. Repent of your, uh, repent of your sins. Confess his name as the Son of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And be buried in water. Watery grave of baptism. Contacting the blood of Jesus. Having your sins washed away. And added to the 144,000. Maybe you've taken those steps of obedience. Maybe you've drifted. Maybe there are things in your life you need to correct. If that's the case, then repent of those things. Confess those things. We'll pray with you and for you, and God will forgive. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.